Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for tuning in for part of a series of interviews that gives us a chance to get to know Arizona teachers who are doing outstanding work in their classrooms. I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk not only with these fine educators, but also to work with my co-host, Ty White. Ty is the 2021-22 ARSA Teacher of the Year, and this year has been awarded the National Teacher of the Year for the National Rural Education Association and Teacher of the Year for the Arizona Educational Foundation. So Ty, would you introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Ty White, and I'm having a great time this season co-hosting the Rural Scoop with Dr. Melissa Sadorf. I'm really excited to get to share with everyone today a gentleman I met this year who hails from Tuba City. Roy Lee is one of AEF's Ambassadors of Excellence, which means he came in as a top five finalist for the state of Arizona. Roy, would you like to tell them about where you're from and a little bit of your background? Yeah, Auto I used to get Arizona Teacher of the Year Ambassador of Excellence Mr. Ty White, Arizona Teacher of the Year, D host the Hods or J Aja, that has Anja Ajan Hello everyone. My name is Roy Lee. Uh, my Navajo clans are salt. I am born for bitter water. My third clan is Reed, and my fourth clan is Edgewater. I am originally from Shanto, Arizona. I teach at the Tuba City Elementary School, um, Navajo language for grades kindergarten through fifth grade within the Tuba City Unified School District. And I have been a Navajo language teacher for our school district for the past 10 years. And I'm just very honored to hold the title of Arizona Teacher of the Year Ambassador of Excellence along with our State Teacher of the Year, Mr. Ty White who leads us and represents our state at the national level. I'm going to butcher this, and I really apologize, but I'm kind of excited with you here that we're going to get some new people listening to our podcast. And so I'd just like to to do my best here to say, yata a to all of our new listeners that join us, right? (laughs) You said it correctly, Ty. (laughs) So, Roy, could you tell us about how you became an educator I've always been in, I've always worked in the education field. Uh, when I first started, I was a classified employee. So I, I worked in various departments from transportation to security. And I started my work with Kienta Unified School District not long after I graduated high school. So I graduated from Monument Valley High School with the class of 2008. 
And then the second school district that I was able to work at was up in Page with the Page Unified School District. I spent two years there and I was a school security officer at the high school and middle school. So during that time, there was a temporary uh, reduction in force due to budget shortage. So I end up being one of the staff members that was RIF, and that's how I ended up in Tuba City. So when I first applied with Tuba City Unified uh, on there on the application to ask any other languages I spoke, so I, I indicated that I spoke Navajo, I spoke it fluently. I was asked if I would be interested in a Navajo language teaching position. I was hesitant at first because I didn't have no inside classroom experience. And they ensured me that if I do get selected, that they were going to help me with my certification process and got selected. And I've been teaching Navajo language since then. So, Rod, I want to ask you, um, because most of our listeners probably are not familiar with where the district that you work at is located. And it is on the Navajo Reservation up in northern Arizona, and it does extend into a couple other states. It's a very rural community. Can you talk a little bit about your rural setting and then talk a little bit more about why you stayed where you stayed? Because I'm sure you've had opportunities to work in other places. The Navajo Nation is a very large tribe. We are larger than 10 states. We're nearly the size of Virginia, West Virginia. So majority of our land base is in the state of Arizona. We do have um, the second land base would be in New Mexico, and the third would be in um, Utah. However, there is a small, tiny enclave in the state of Colorado. So that's how big our reservation is. And the part that I'm from is the northeastern part of Arizona. So Tuba City is located in between Flagstaff, Arizona, and Page, Arizona not far from the Grand Canyon. So we are typically about an hour and a half east of the Grand Canyon, south rim of the Grand Canyon. In our area of the reservation, we're surrounded by two other tribes. So we have the Hopi tribe, which is just directly south of Tuba City. We border, Tuba City border lines with the Navajo Nation and Hopi tribe. And then we have a small um, San Juan Southern Paiute to our west, about 15 miles west of Tuba City. So we do service Hopi, San Juan Southern Paiute, along with our Navajo students. When it comes to language, when it comes to culture, we're multicultural, multilingual within the region of Tuba City. I, I grew up with a bunch of San Carlos Apache friends, and the Navajo and Apache was close enough that people could communicate. Is the Hopi that similar? With Navajo and Apache, like St. Carlos and White Mountain Apache, their sister or, or sister languages to Navajo, were able to understand and communicate to certain levels. For instance, uh, for water, our Navajo word for water is to. Same way for Apache is to. Cow, in our Navajo language, we say begushi. Apache say mugushi with an M. We say it with the letter B. With Hopi, it's an entire different language, similar, close to Tohono O'odham, Pima, Aztec. For Navajo and Apache, our language is Athabascan, out from Alaska and the Canadian area. And then some parts up in Northern California, like the Hoopa tribe, those are the Athabascan family language. The San Juan Southern Paiute's language is mainly diverse from the Great Basin region. 
Nevada and portions of Utah from that band of Paiutes. Um, for us, even here on Navajo, um, the Western side is slightly different than how the Navajos in the New Mexico region would speak. This, this year, I have a student who's from actually from New Mexico. As I was teaching, she pointed, she, she, she didn't beat around the bush. She wasn't shy about it. She, she says, hey, Mr. Lee, you say things a little bit funny. And um, it kind of caught me off guard. She goes, I know. She goes, it's, it's she, she goes, it's weird. My grandparents will always say, oh, Navajos in Arizona say things, but I'm actually hearing it for myself. And it is true. She would she would tell the class. And so that that that's what that's one of the amazing experiences that I got to experience is that one of my students who came from New Mexico, I immediately, immediately identified the dialect within our Navajo language. So from your story then, I understand that you've always taught in Tuba City. What are some of your favorite things about teaching in a rural setting, but also about teaching for a tribal school? It can be challenging. For Tuba City, we only have one supermarket, and that supermarket serves basically the entire school districts. We service about seven to eight communities, but these communities are sprawled out. So our bus routes, one way could be about 45 minutes to an hour. And so our grocery store also has that same base. The the, the communities like Cameron, Gap, Tunnelia, they only have small convenience stores. But most of the time they come into Tuba City, which is about 45 minutes to an hour drive to come to Bashes, get what they need, and then go back. Um, we only have one hardware store in Tuba City. Again, it's it services the area. We have one hospital. That hospital services the entire Western Navajo region. So our Tuba City Police Department also services these areas like Kaibato, which is about a 45 minute an hour away. Same way with our ambulance and our fire department. So when there's emergency calls, they have to travel out that great distance to give them services. So our school district really outlines the boundaries within our area. So if you go to Kienta, which is about 80 miles, about an hour away, they have the same setup. Their police department, their fire department, their grocery store, they're all aligned with the school district boundaries. So within the public schools here on the Navajo Nation, within the state of Arizona side, there's about seven public schools. So the rural area is that it's the service. When COVID-19 hit, that really put a lot of things on the breaking point with our infrastructure. And when we had to switch to online, we had internet issues. Our infrastructure wasn't up to date. It didn't have the capacity. So it took longer for our services to be needed. And then the other part, being here on the reservation, public schools is just one of the few many uh, school systems that we have on the Navajo Nation. We compete against what we call federal schools, BIE schools. There are boarding schools. Here in Tuba City, there is a boarding school, Tuba City Boarding School, that is operated and ran by the federal government. And then we have a grant school that is more of a contract, what they call 638 grant school. So they are under the federal government, but they're not managed by the federal government. They are more tribally controlled, but they receive federal funds. And then we have public schools, public schools that receive impact aid funding, Title I funding, Johnson O'Malley funding. So so within Tuba City, we have various school types within this small community. So, Roy, you're talking about some of the challenges that your district and your 
local community faced. You just started touching on the challenges that you had as a teacher during the pandemic, but even broader than that, as a teacher, there are some unique challenges to teaching in a rural setting. So what are those challenges and how have you addressed them? One of the challenges that we faced was switching onto an online platform, Zoom being one of them. So we use Schoology to upload assignments, provide assessments. One of the challenges as a teacher was having crash course sessions just to get the ball rolling on it. But over time, we had some teachers that were very familiar with how Zoom worked, and they were able to help teachers that weren't really familiar with the upgraded technology. So we had to kind of help one another. And then when we did our professional development, we did in-house professional development. We shared our resources that we were able to make sure that nobody was straggling behind, nobody was stressing out, they they, they were lost. Um, other teachers helping other teachers. The school purchased so many iPads, so many devices for the students, hotspots. Even with that in our area, our carrier, they told us that the hotspots are not going to work because everyone is using that hotspot. So our students lived in multi-general homes, big families that were issued hotspots. And so they would use one hotspot. The hotspot would slow down on them and it would affect their Zoom. So when second semester came on, a lot of the time we would switch from A day to B day on certain days, certain classes. Like for my area, we had asynchronous days and synchronous days. Students A would go on here for this much time. Students B would go here this part of the day. So that really helped us make sure that students didn't have um, tech issues. And you currently just opened back up, didn't you, to 100% for your students and staff to come back to the school sites? Yes. Last year, we had um, in-person and virtual. The parents had a choice. And I've taught uh, both virtual and hybrid. So for virtual, I had uh, first grade and third grade. And then all the other classes, they would come in for in-person. But this year, this school year, we went 100% in-person. So we have no um, virtual whatsoever. We all hear about how rural teachers and leaders wear many hats. What else do you do in your school community besides teach in the classroom? We have an enrichment program this year. With that Navajo language enrichment program, we're implementing STEAM. And one of the one of the things that we're working on is rug weaving. And so we, we broke down rug weaving. So the science about it is traditional wool dyeing, how we use the plants for dyeing wool, how we mix um, different types of sheet wool to get different types of wool color without dyeing. Um, the technology is how we use the traditional loom, how it's set up and how it's able to hold everything together, especially when you put weight on it, when you tighten it up. I think there's a lot of room there for talking to kids about algorithms and coding with those mm-hmm. looms. Exactly. The math portion is your geometry traits, your steps, counting without using your ruler, how you use your fingers to count, to measure, to finding the, the middle point or grandmas, great grandmas and our ancestors didn't use measuring tapes. They used their fingers and they would have to figure out where the middle was. And so that you, you, you use that. We make that an overall STEAM project. 
Well, not only is it a STEAM project, it's also a cultural lesson as well. Yes. An expression that, that Ty and I have used, the rural advantage. What does the rural advantage mean to you? What are those unique opportunities that you have as a rural teacher? One of the advantages that I, I would say we have is that we're able to still have our culture and our language really without having a lot of um, interference. One example could be excessive access to movie theaters or going shopping. But here, livestock is what really anchors our Navajo families, horses, cattle, sheep. As I mentioned earlier, that many of our students live in multi-generation homes. So they live with their parents and grandparents where the language is actually being spoken. So to me, that's a great advantage. It makes them more appreciative of what they have. What would be one of your proudest moments, one of your aha or just fulfilling experiences as a teacher? I've been with the district for 10 years now. Um, during that 10 years, I developed several things, one of them being a Navajo language student planner, and it's both written in Navajo and English. I work with the company. They print it for me. I design it and send it over. So my fourth graders and my fifth graders utilize it to help them with the organizational skills. And then it's more, it kind of serves as my own textbook because I fall back on it when I'm doing my lessons. Another thing that I've created was uh, activity books. They're Valpro. They can, I use them kind of for centers. My second year teaching, at that time I had a blind student. She was in kindergarten and I was told that you're going to have a blind student. She's able to speak. She's able to understand I didn't know how to work with a blind student. No one trained me or I had to do a lot of research of how to work with this blind student. So it it was my first year working with this student. It really talked about testing your limits of thinking outside the box. I wanted to have her included with the group. So over the years, I, I created another activity book. And this time I had to learn how to incorporate it using Braille. It, it took a while for me to figure out how am I going to incorporate Braille using the Navajo language, incorporating it for my student who cannot see. So that's where I reached out to Arizona School Black Death and the Blind. They gave, they kind of gave me some pointers. So with that advice and recommendations that I got, I was able to accommodate certain things for her, but I felt like it wasn't good enough. Third grade year, I was teaching colors. That was the part where I was like, okay, she's, she's able to say the colors, but she cannot, she doesn't know what the colors are because she can't see them. I started buying snacks, cookies. And so when we had our colors, instead of her saying it, she would taste a, a, a small piece of apple, green apple for green, a taste of red apple for red. And then I would, I, pretty soon I would mix it up, blueberries, strawberries, watermelon, cantaloupe. So the different types of food, I would associate it with those particular colors. That's how she was able to learn her colors. If it wasn't for my blind student, I wouldn't be able to say I, the challenge with working with her became a success as a teacher. So, Royd, what you're talking about is a challenge in teaching a student that you overcame. And right now, there are a lot of challenges that face rural teachers, not just in your district, but across the state of Arizona. What, in your opinion, is the 
greatest challenge that faces rural educators and how would you solve that? It would mostly be funding. And I was I was talking to Ty. I traveled to Washington, D.C. advocating for impact aid. Our school district heavily relies on impact aid funding. Tuba City is not able to generate tax base, property tax revenue for our school district because we're a reservation school. I'm going to step back and go back to COVID. When the mass mandate became a, pol- uh, a hot political issue, where the governor at that time, Doug Ducey, indicated to schools that if you have a mass mandate policy, the risk of you receiving your funding could be cut. But here on the Navajo Nation with the Sovereign Tribe, it became a jurisdictional battle. We were caught in the middle of it. We had our Navajo Nation leaders, our Navajo Nation president, more of going head to head with the governor and saying, you know, we're on tribal land. These public schools may be public schools under the state, yes, but they're within our tribe. Therefore, we are going to implement the mass mandate. It made news when our Navajo Nation president even told the governor, if you want to take us to the through the courts through it, bring it on. But we are doing this because it's for our people, it's for our students. I'm so glad that the governor said, okay, all try all public schools on the tribes. Don't matter if you're Navajo, Apache, Tohono O'odham. You guys are going to go ahead and implement your mass mandates without repercussions. Same thing happened with our testing as well. Um, the Navajo Nation said, we're going to waive all testing. But the state said, we still want you to do state testing. Again, that also became, we were caught in the middle of that jurisdictional battle. But what the challenges that we have now, we have our SR funds that are going to be expiring. That really helped us a lot. With SR funds, we were able to bulk up our manpower with additional resources and temporary um, school personnel to help us with tutoring, to help us with a lot of things. And the challenging part of post-COVID is that a lot of our students, especially when they were in what they're supposed to be in kindergarten during that time, lost out. And those are the students that are either in third grade, fourth grade now that are that didn't get that foundation. So funding and then dealing with the the aftermath of COVID when it comes to academics. You know, when we were when we were kind of looking at the things we wanted to ask teachers to share and the insights they had with us, one thing we asked was what would you tell future educators who might be looking to teach in a rural setting? And so this question really speaks to issues of recruitment and retention. And I think that that's an even bigger challenge when you live as remotely as you do in Tuba City. So, I mean, what would you say to attract or what would you say to help retain in your district? We don't have private property within our school district. So our school district provides school housing. And one thing that I've seen Teacher housing is the number one thing for their recruitment. If they have attractive housing, then they that's their recruitment selling. School districts that have that can that provide poor housing conditions, nobody's gonna want to take the job. So for us here on the reservation for public schools, it comes down to housing. The second part of that would be salary. Chinle is the highest paying public school on the Navajo reservation. I've heard some of their some of their teachers are making ninety thousand on up compared to what what I'm making. But it's really comes down to living condition. 
they also look at how far away the nearest town is. Like for us, Flagstaff is an hour away. Pinyon Unified is like smack in the middle. Talk about isolated. So in order for them to get to Flagstaff, that's about two and a half hours away. So what would make it worthwhile moving into your district to teach? What would be the draw that you would want to make sure that prospective teachers knew about? Well, the culture. We're Native American, but we're not just one tribe. We have neighboring tribes. You're going to have that that wonderful experience within our community. One, because we still have our elders here. I do see that just hearing from our non-Native teachers that do work in the district, they like it because the landscape. They like it because of how Lake Powell is just an hour to the north. Grand Canyon is an hour to the west. Monument Valley is an hour and 30 minutes to the east. Flagstaff is an hour away. The landscape itself is, I guess, it's the the land beauty of it. And a lot of them are like, wow, this is a beautiful area that you can only see on TV, but, you know, it's actually our backyard. And so the land itself, the culture, the language, that's the recruitment that I see drawing in teachers. Okay, you cannot leave off the Western Navajo Fair. Oh, yes, Western Navajo Fair. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, a, that's a big draw. That's a lot of fun. Yep, it is. Well, Royd, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you'd like to make sure that people know about you and your rural school community? For us, we like to say rule. A lot of us don't think of it as rule, but really it, we are rural in a sense because of our distance where we're located at the state. But if you were to say rule, a lot of them were like, no, we're not rule. This is home. It's This is home. <laughs> and that's how they'll look at it. It's like, no, we're not rule. We're home. It's peaceful. We're, we're not distracted by the sounds of the airplane landing at the airport, the sounds of sirens. It's peaceful. But for us, it's home. But if you look at it from a rule perspective, we are rule. And we may have our challenges, but again, we overcome those challenges. And then above all, it's our community. That's what makes us unique. Oh, thank you so much for talking with us today. I learned a lot. You're welcome. And it was a privilege. Hey, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. It is so much fun to host these with Dr. Sadorf. And I think Roy is just an outstanding teacher who does so much to impact his community. The idea that you can maintain and teach and keep your language and traditions alive is a beautiful thing to do in your schools. And so I'm going to tell all our new listeners, Hagone, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you. And Hagone means goodbye. We'll see you later. And means thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. You can check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Sadorf so you never miss a new release. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education.
proud member of the Podnuga Network.